Phil. Hello. Do you remember when the, couldn't even tell you the year, the David Ardsma era of the Mariners when the bullpen was like weirdly good and they put gladiator helmets outside of the bullpen and then the MLB wouldn't let them? I'm pretty sure, was that 2014? 2013, 2014, does that sound right? Yeah, that sounds right because we were like kind of yeah. kind of good um, yeah. and no reason to be, which is a lot of Mariners teams. Yeah, I do remember that though. There's, there's, there's absolutely no reason I brought that up. I was just thinking of that's one of the things that didn't even get brought up in the uh, John Boyce Dorktown series with the Mariners of just like what a just <laughs> such a strange thing. They had like art, and... artifact, actual Roman gladiator helmets, and then it was actually a cool, funny thing, and then they took it away. And then that was the years with like Will Helmsen becoming like the bartender because they found him in a bar. He was tending bar in Arizona. That, that, those were a weird Mariners. That was the end of the Zarenzic era. And I think he just had kind of lost his mind by that point. The the mythos of the bartender, just like, let's just keep changing the story. They found they found Tom Wills Helmson stooped over, blacked out, puke all over himself. <laughs> they said, Oh God, you gotta get your life together. And then they saw they saw how he threw a beer bottle into a dumpster and said, We can turn this guy into a into a setup. <laughs> uh, and they did, and then they shipped him off to Texas, which is very appropriate i suppose for uh what we're going to be talking about today for the bulk of the podcast i guess is uh turning somebody who was once thought to be on the fringes of the mlb into a really viable trade piece the mariners certainly squeezed the toothpaste uh tube this week we'll talk about that in just a second but first of all uh, you know, as well as I do, Phil, that, that the media is, is is absolutely full of lies as it pertains to COVID-19, um, right? Oof, how do I answer <laughs> this without getting somebody mad at me? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to no comment that one. Uh, well, it's it's just so true. The, the, the mainstream liberal media has, has continued oh, to lie okay. to us. And, and <laughs> okay, is this, is, this a, is this an Aubrey? Are we going an Aubrey way? And they've done it to us one more time, Phil. They've they've told us that the Mariners aren't playing the Oakland A's right now, and those that series is postponed because of COVID testing, when in reality, you and I both know that series is postponed because they can't clean up all the champagne in T-Mobile <laughs> Park from the... Uh, raucous trade deadline that the Mariners had. I am so stoked on all of what happened. Uh, the haul they got back from the Austin Dola trade was just incredible. Now, you and I talked about this briefly. I don't think there was a stratosphere where that you and I were thinking that this could have happened. Well, let me put it this way. <clears throat> this is the order of events that... Well, first of all, let me just say right off the bat that I would agree that it is mind-blowing, and we'll get to all the reasons why later. But I just want to walk you through my personal experience as the trade was developing. Mm-hmm. Is that okay? Yeah, would love to hear it. So basically, I'm on Twitter, as you are, as we all are, and we all follow kind of the same, you know, cabal of, of sports writers at Passan and Rosenthal and all the legitimate ones. And it started off with the Mariners maybe trading nola to the padres they are getting close to trading nola to the padres and there was no um sort of emphasis on the return that was coming back it was all about nola going to the padres instead of what was coming back to the mariners which is pretty par for the course when you know for all intents and purposes we can talk about our uh the package we received coming back but nola was the headliner in the seven player trade so everything at least initially was focused on okay Nola's going to San Diego. Yes. Nola's going to San Diego. Yes. And, and um, just just to, to preface that one more time so that people understand, Austin Nola, uh, former backup catcher, former uh, utility infielder, so, former also ran in three different minor league organizations, was the headliner of this uh, eventual blockbuster trade. But yes, keep going. So yeah, and we'll get to just the rise of Nola later. But anyway, then... Uh, probably I would say about 30 minutes later, I think it was either Passan or Rosenthal or one of those big national guys broke the, the news that the trade was indeed finalized. But all we knew at that point was Nola was going to San Diego and a catcher, Luis Torrens, was coming back to the Mariners. So immediately I hop online and I go to gauge the reaction of, you know, 
know, some trusted Mariners community members that, you know, I see and talk with and chat with a lot. And the reception on, and keep in mind, this is just when the trade, as it's understood, is Austin Nola for Luis Torrens. And no one said anything more than that. We were completely under the assumption that it was a one-for-one swap, Nola for Torrens. Mm -hmm. And I would put the reaction as satisfied. It was it was a satisfying trade. People looked at Torrens. They said, "Look, this is a guy who can hit. He hit and he mat. He's a good catcher. He mashed in Double A last year. He was a weird Rule Five guy who, you know, got brought up to the majors way too early because the Padres had to, you know. And we've explained Rule Five procedure in the past. The Padres had to carry him on their major league roster even though he wasn't ready. So everyone was somewhat excited about that. Um, it was sort of underwhelming, but there was this kind of consensus that, yeah, you know what, this does make sense." And then, all of a sudden, tweet after tweet after tweet started coming in. And then it was Taylor Trammell. Uh, And then that was just, that was probably the the biggest shocker, because Trammell, we'll talk about him later, that was, you know, top five organizational prospect. But then it was Anthony Munoz. And then it was Ty France. And it was just this deluge of really great players continuing to come in. But then... The cherry on the top of the freaking cupcake was when you found out that Dieseldorf, Dan Altavilla, was going back to San Diego. And it turned from elation to ecstasy. It could not have become any better at that moment. We're free. We are yeah, free. It was of, quite, it was, it was amazing. We are free. It was simply Dan, an amazing hour of development. We are free of Dan Altavilla blowing games. Um, this, this was, you described it very well. It was, it was, we were, you and I were going back and forth trying to get information. There was some talk of, oh, the Yankees are interested. Uh, the Reds, Reds fans, I think were very active of saying, you know, our catcher sucks. Why aren't we, we a part of this, this conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it happened. And the four guys you mentioned, first of all, Hate to, to to be the well actually guy. It's it's uh, it's Andres Munoz. Anthony Munoz was a was a fantastic, oh, sorry. fantastic left tackle in his his own day for the uh, for the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. But um, uh, Google for those those listening right now, Google Anthony Munoz hands. And uh, I'm sorry that you had to look at that. But um, anyways, Austin Nola is gone. Uh, the hall you just mentioned was was really really strong. I think even a pessimist about a lot of these guys. You got four guys with ups- upside. A pessimist would have trouble saying that the Mariners completely struck out. Uh, John Heyman would not have any trouble saying that the Mariners struck out here. Uh, first of all, can you just explain to me why? I mean, we, we talked about why Asinola was was a nice story. I think last week in the podcast. Why was he so in demand? Why did he net the biggest haul of any player traded at this year's deadline? So when we, I looked back right after this trade broke, and we did mention Austin Nola on our previous podcast before any sort of getting gearing up for the trade deadline, that Nola could be somebody that teams would value. Uh, I, both of us undersold, I guess, how highly valued Nola was to the Padres. And again, it only takes one team to really believe in a guy and really think he, the world of him. And we saw that with the Padres. I I can't imagine that the Padres were bidding against anyone besides themselves. I think the Mariners would have been perfectly content to hold on to Nola and they weren't in any sort of rush to move him. And that was the Padres just continuing to give them a Godfather offer, give them an offer they could not refuse. Um, So there's reasons why Nola it's. It, I don't want to undersell just how valuable a player Austin Nola is. I think he's extremely valuable. And I'll get into this when we talk about you know the Jared Depoto type of hitter. But Austin Nola is exactly the type of hitter that Jared Depoto covets, and he got one coming back the other way in two actually coming back the other way in Ty France and Taylor Trammell. But with Nola, you saw a guy who swung at pitches in the heart of the plate. And there's a great, uh, on Baseball Savant, There's a if you want to check it out, there's a great uh, tool to figure out what percentage of pitches in the heart of the plate the player swings at, what percentage of pitches in the shadow uh, is what it's called, which is the around the strike zone, sort of maybe on the edges of the strike zone. And then there's chase pitches, which are outside the strike zone, and waste pitches, which are far out of the strike zone. Those are like your 0-2 counts. You bounce a, a curveball in the dirt. Mm. Uh, so what we saw with Nola is he swung in the 99th percentile at pitches in the heart of the plate so he could recognize when pitches were in the heart of the plate. 
And although he did not have good exit velocities, what he did have was consistent exit velocities. He was always finding the barrel of his bat. And he was, although he, he didn't have the John Carlos Stanton, Aaron Judge sort of power, what he did have is he had the consistency to find barrels and make the most out of whatever power he had. And I think you're going to see that coming back, especially with Ty France. He has a very similar profile. But with Nola, he has obviously the distinct advantage of A, being a catcher, and B, having five years of control. Five years of cost control, especially right now where we don't even know. A, are there going to be fans in the seats next year or are MLB teams going to be taking another loss? Teams were very hesitant to trade for anything this uh, deadline that wasn't cost controlled. And I think you're going to see that be a theme in the uh, in the free agent market as it plays out, that values are going to be very depressed. So what they get in NOLA is five years of a cost-controlled catcher that was leading the league in wins as a catcher, according to F4. So, so losing NOLA is not, you know, it's not all roses. The one palatable part about it is that NOLA is essentially found money. He's exactly. house money, so to speak, in the, in the fact that last year, any of the 30 teams could have picked him up just like the Mariners did on the free agent minor league contract, just like the Mariners did, and it would have cost them nothing. But this is really, to me, more so than Kyle Lewis, more so than Dylan Moore, more so than J.P. Crawford, this is Jerry DePoto's best player development win as a general manager. And I just can't see it any other way. And, he took a guy who, yeah, go ahead. And I think that part of what, you know, they, they turned Austin Nola, which is raw materials, into this. And, and there's a certain confidence with your organization when you can do that. And like you said, there's other reclamation projects that, that they can that they can add to that list as well that, you know, you, you feel like you can do it again. And if you flip Austin Nola for other raw materials of guys who are not quite perfect but uh, promising and you think you can take them to promising and you do this again – that is how you end up as the Los Angeles Dodgers or as these really, really great organizations in baseball like the Yankees who have great major league teams and great minor league teams and are positioned to make moves just like the Padres did to sell off parts of, of their, their future for current assets uh, and still have a very strong future. And that's something that that's just not a reality that the Mariners have ever lived in in the last 20 years where there's you don't have to choose between those two things you know it's either win now or build for the future and the mariners are heading towards hopefully a situation where they have both of those uh realities going on at the same time absolutely and i think what you're seeing with the guys that were targeted uh by the mariners uh in terms of the sort of swing profiles that they have coming back in ty france and taylor Trammell and uh luis torrens uh, you see this sort of uh, organizational philosophy that, hey, this is the type of player that we think is not being done justice developmentally by other organizations, because whereas other organizations may be really, you know, just looking at exit velocities and saying, oh, look at this guy's exit velocities. I can change his swing to make him an all-star. The Mariners are looking at something else and saying, look at this guy's other underlying skills that they think, hey, maybe these other teams aren't appreciating. And maybe we have some sort of secret sauce, so to speak, to take these really good skills that they have, tweak what they do a little bit and turn them into an Austin Nola. And now you're not working with Austin Nola, the 30 year old, you know, catcher reclamation project. You're working with Taylor Trammell, who has a similar underlying skill set, but a lot better tools to boot. And Taylor Trammell is, is 23 and Austin Nola is, is about to be 31. And, you know, mm -hmm. there's, there's just different windows that, that both those teams are working in. Uh, Austin Nola, we talked about him last week. Great dude. I think that uh, nothing spoke higher to his value to this team and, and his uh, almost cultural fit with the Mariners and how much he meant to the guys than, than Marco Gonzalez uh, throwing the, mm -hmm. the, the, the complete game uh, in the first game after Nola had been traded. Uh, was emotional about having lost Nola. This is a guy that he'd only played with for, for a little more than a year. Um, and just Nola's dependable nature as a catcher and just seemed like a really, really good dude. Um, so I think, you know, I, I, I hope that his ascendancy continues. 
Um, and I think that that can still happen and the Mariners can still win this trade. Um, or, or have, Oh yeah. There, there's nothing but love. There is nothing but love on this podcast for Austin Nola. And to think, and I've told you something to the same effect, who would have thought that when Tom Murphy broke his foot, mm-hmm. this, this, uh, this, you know, spring, call it whatever you want, summer training, spring training, whatever, summer camp, who would have thought when that happened, that could have, and I don't mean to overstate, I mean, it's a great haul, but it's not a, you know, it is what it is, but that could have changed substantially the trajectory of the Mariners future. Just something as simple as Tom Murphy breaking his foot, showing Austin Nola is cap- not only a capable catcher, but actually a very skilled one. And that, as we've talked about positional values, catcher is at the absolute top of the list, followed by shortstop, followed by center field. Um, that's why you always heard before we had analytics, the old adage, build your team up the middle. Pitcher, catcher, shortstop, and center field, all the all the ones right in the middle, and then worry about the, the corners later. And that adage actually had a lot of truth to it, but now we can quantify it with numbers. That just that just made me think of, of certain Mariners teams that were built upon Kenji Jojima, uh, Jose Vidro, uh, <laughs> yeah. Betancourt, and Jeremy Reed. Uh, if you go up the middle, but uh, um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a really really nice situation to be in right now as as a Mariner fan, I think, and and um, a fun one. And, and this is kind of what we were hoping. And and to to me, I, actually, I'll, I'll just say this: there's there's going to be a lot of Jerry Depoto um, praise towards the end of this podcast, I think. Uh, but let's let's get into the the hall that came back, and I think we've moved uh, tantalize or, or uh, tease this for for quite a while here. Taylor Trammell is is the um, the headliner, I think, coming back um, from mm-hmm. the Padres. Here, he was the number five overall prospect uh, in their system. Was a guy that was in the red system before that. Uh, was a highly regarded pro- pro- prospect who had a great uh, futures game performance, um, and just seems to be a really good person, uh, really uh, likable, energetic uh, person, which is a nice, nice thing. Uh, he, my, my, my read on him, great tools in terms of athleticism, strong speed, um, just needs to figure out the bat part of things, which we'll talk about. But my, my thing with, with, uh, with Trammell, he already stumped JD. Do you, do you hear about his, his, I, call, I, I his heard, call with, Taylor I, Trammell, with uh, Jerry Depoto? I heard, but go ahead and explain it for those who haven't. So we, we talk about Stump JD often here and, and how Jared Poto cheats at his own trivia game um, on, on the Wheelhouse podcast with Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. But uh, Jared Poto calls Taylor Trammell and says, you know, well, welcome, Taylor. It's it's nice to have you aboard. Uh, and Taylor Trammell just gives him 10 seconds of silence before <laughs> before DePoto says something along the lines of, Taylor, did, uh, did anyone tell you that you were getting traded? Uh, and he says, no, nah, I'm just playing with you. And, and, and fucked with Jerry DePoto right off the bat, uh, which is which is bold. And I'm surprised Jerry DePoto didn't immediately trade him for someone else uh, <laughs> after, after that. But uh, yeah, it seems seems like an awesome person and, and an easy guy to root for. But uh, talk about the baseball side of things with, with Trammell. So Trammell is a guy who was drafted at a high school he was drafted with the 35th overall pick. Grew, grew up 50, 50 miles away from Kyle Lewis, by the way. Just exactly. And his brother actually went to Mercer as well. And unlike the – he was one of those guys where he was drafted 35 overall. His true talent was probably quite a bit higher than that. But again, the MLB draft is unlike the NBA draft or the NFL draft in the fact that your true talent doesn't necessarily correlate so perfectly with your draft position because – in the MLB draft, you have a lot of underslot guys, a lot of overslot guys. There's a lot of game gamesmanship that goes on in the MLB draft, whereas you don't have that flexibility in the NBA or the NFL. So Trammell was really actually more of like a top 10, top 15 type of talent. He slid to number 35 because of signability concerns. But some team, you know, obviously blew quite a bit of their total uh, allotment uh, to sign Trammell on that team being the Reds. Um, the thing about Trammell after that was... He's now on his third team. We've seen this happen uh, with another highly regarded prospect in the Mariners system, Justice Sheffield, who started with the Indians, then went to the Yankees, and then came to the Mariners in the James Paxson trade. There's always that sort of concern that the Reds have one organizational philosophy in terms of hitting. Then the Padres, which I have read, saw something in Trammell that they didn't like that the Reds were doing, tweaked his swing. Trammell really struggled in double-A last year after the transition from Cincinnati to uh, San Diego. 
started to pick it up later and was actually very good in the AA playoffs once those kind of swing change um, sort of principles took hold uh, on him. But now he's coming to the Mariners who are certainly going to have their own sort of organizational hitting philosophy. So he's it's like, uh, for those of you who follow the NFL, it's like a quarterback now on his third offensive coordinator, and he's never been able to get comfortable with that. Um, so there's obviously that level of concern, but what he does have is a really strong eye. He's got great speed. And as Jerry DePoto said, there, based on the exit velocities, there is an emergent power there that has to get untapped. And I think we will be able to see it a la Evan White uh, with his exit velocities. Now you're seeing that bear fruit as he's gotten the ball into the air a little more. So Tremel is the headliner of this. He's still – he was – coming into the last season ranked as high by some outlets as the top 10 of prospect lists. Now you'll mostly find him in the 40 to 50 to 60 range. So his stock has fallen a little bit, but he is one of those post hype uh, picks that Jerry DePoto so covets. So I think it's going to be a really good match. I I was actually just uncovering another post hype pick because a a guy that we didn't talk about um, in, in the whole you know, uh, yeah. almost butterfly effect. Uh, Austin Nola situation was that was Tom Murphy, who is also a former first round pick, uh, mm-hmm. uh, who who kind of bounced around and ended up in the Mariners' hands and have have turned him into something. And you know that kind of set this whole thing in motion. But anyways, uh, the the deal with Trammell, obviously, you know he's he's got tools that could very easily work out be a a, a you know very plus fringe all star level major league corner outfielder. Great. A lot of teams want that. The Mariners in particular uh, have a, a strong, you know, at least at the top depth of, of outfield talent. Uh, Kyle Lewis, um, you know, Jose Rodriguez or Julio Rodriguez. I'm sorry, Jared Kelenic, uh, what have you. There's also another guy in this that, that uh, I think is immediately started to get talked about. Once you bring in Taylor Trammell to that mix is Mitch Hanniger. Do you think mm. that this, this, addition matters at all for Hanniger or is this kind of a part of two different planes of Mariners planning the Mitch Hanniger timeline and then the the Taylor Trammell timeline yeah I have a couple of thoughts on the Hanniger timeline I think Jerry DePoto maybe even convinced himself uh during that 2000 during the offseason of 2018 when he started with the whole reimagining, re and retooling, whatever verbiage he wanted to use, I think maybe even he convinced himself that he was going to be able to turn this turn this thing uh, around quickly, turn it from turn the roster over and compete within a year or two. And I think what you saw with this Nola trade is the implicit sort of um, understanding that that was the wrong thing to do. Uh, and this thing is going to take a few more years, like everyone was saying, and like me and you and probably most astute people were were uh, sort of, you know, letting people know that this is not something that's going to be a year and then you're back to contention. It's going to take a while, and I think maybe for whatever reason, DePoto didn't have the okay from ownership to go ahead and sell off Hanager. He didn't have uh, the his own personal confidence, or maybe the deal just wasn't right. Whatever the reason was, he decided not to sell off Hanager, but now we're looking at this situation where unless Hanager comes back next year and he really hits, he really shows he's healthy. Um, there's there's going to be a roster crunch. You have Ty France, who you, you're going to want to give a DH at bat to at least at the start. You have, you know, Fraley. You still want to see Fraley. I think we know what we have in Bishop. I think you know that one's been decided at least from my eyes. Yes, you obviously have. <laughs> Yeah. Go dogs, you obviously, yes. Yeah, you obviously have Kyle Lewis and then you have Jared Kelenic who you're going to want probably up within the next couple next the first couple of weeks of next next season, not to mention Julio Rodriguez. So you have a real logjam. That's not necessarily a problem, but if you're going to be honest and if you could get Jerry Depoto to take a truth serum, he'd probably be kicking himself right now for mishandling the Hanniger situation as badly as he did. And let's let's give him a, a little bit of a break that, that no one predicted Mitch Hanniger's testicle to, to rupture. Um, I certainly didn't. Maybe maybe, maybe you did. Um, I, I, no, no. But, <laughs> no. Maybe it's not a testicle rupturing, but it's, it's a torn um, ACL. Sure. I think you have to bake those things into your analysis if you're a, a, a heady GM mm. that, listen, this could happen to my player. That's at his apex value. I, I can, and we can talk about the Rangers 
later. I know this is a um, Mariners dedicated podcast, but I just cannot through the life of me understand what the Rangers are doing, not trading away Lance Lynn, not trading away Joey Gallo, losing service time, risking the fact that, you know, next season they're either going to not perform as well or they get injured and really, really be in a place where the cupboard is totally bare, both at the major league level and the minor league level. I uh, I just can't get the idea of, of bacon and testicles out of my head. But um, <laughs> uh, I think, too, uh, another part of this is that it's it's okay to have a surplus. It's okay to have a surplus of outfield talent um, and to have a guy who's really, really talented sitting there in AAA performing well, constantly there. Uh, if in, an injury happens, uh, if you need depth, obviously uh, Tramiel's speed makes him an asset in, in a lot of different ways too. Um, it's, it's okay to have that, and good teams have that. Good teams are stacked at every level of the minor leagues uh, so that any team who comes calling or, or any team you want to call about a particular uh, you know player – they look positionally and you, you have what they need or you have, you have somebody that can, they can be attractive. It's how the Astros were able to take what they had and add Verlander, add Granke, add Garrett Cole. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, do just what the, the, the Padres did of, of, you know, move chips in, get what you need to, uh, you know, capitalize on a championship window. And I think it's okay to have Tramel you know, maybe not hit the major leagues for a very long time, but perform well in the minor leagues. Like that, that's, that's the dream. And, right? and, and let's be clear the chances that, and I know I hate to, you know, this is kind of the sacred cow amongst Mariner fans, but the fact, the, the chances of Kyle Lewis sustaining his success yep. of Jared Kelenic becoming the all-star caliber player. We want him to be the fact, the chance of Julio Rodriguez, who's still only 20 years old, making it all the way through the minors and still maintaining his success into the major leagues. And then the fact that Taylor Trammell uh, becomes who we want him to become. That's all for all of that to come together as we want it to. It's a pretty small chance of that happening to be, to be quite frank. I don't think you're going to be looking back. And if it does happen, then it's a wonderful problem to have. You can ship one of the guys off, but I don't think that um, scenario is as likely as many fans would make it out to see certainly true i mean think of a guy like tyler o'neill who was at one point the mariners number one overall prospect certainly once the uh once the the cardinals traded for him it was not their expectation that he would you know be struggling at this point in the majors but but uh but here we that are. trade speaking of which is sneakily one of jerry depoto's top three trades it was random at the time right like it, yeah there was there was no real need for for marco but the you know marco has been uh a a great podcast guest to go back and listen to it but mm-hmm. but b just just super super solid and has i mean you, you you're better at just you know pulling war out of out of the air than i am but um certainly a more valuable player by leaps and bounds than than o'neill is top he's been a top 25 pitcher by f4 every single season since the mariners have gotten full season speaking mm-hmm. so yeah yeah i mean that's as close to he's a low level number one producer right now made on you know on a bad day he's uh he's a very rock solid middle of the rotation starter on a good day when he's locating like we saw against the angels and that although the angels have struggled this year that lineup is no joke yeah and you know you you can see there's real 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 talent with marco so so that was uh yeah i mean if we're gonna if this is the and we've had many uh, lamenting the moves of Jerry Depoto podcast. If this is going to be the the praising of and the lauding of Jerry Depoto, I think we need to at least mention that one. It's true. Um, let's. That was ten minutes on Taylor Trammell, uh, kind of. But let's let's move on to Ty France, who was a guy that that kind of. I mean, uh, deep dark dark web Mariners Twitter and and fans. I think had been asking for for Ty France for a long yeah, time. Yeah, um, for, for probably some very specific reasons that. I'm not privy to. You can probably talk to those in a second. But just as a, a Ty France primer, this is a guy who uh, in AAA last year for for the Padres affiliate uh, in the Pacific Coast League hit 399. Um, and I was like, wow, that's you know that he must have been at the top, and and he was. He was actually second in batting um, in in the PCL. He was one of 16 players in the PCL to hit above 350. Uh, that league yeah. is is on crack. Um, but, uh, but he's a guy who can really hit kind of a fire hydrant shaped dude, um, positionless at this point, just hasn't had the chance to really establish himself, uh, at really any of the infield spots, but why was he a coveted target for the Mariners for so long? Uh, and, and what are the Mariners getting by acquiring him? 
So right off the bat with his defense, I think we should talk about the negatives first. From what I'm hearing, um, it's probably at best average, most likely a touch below average. But the good news is he's got positional versatility. He can be a third baseman. He can be a second baseman. He cannot play shortstop, but most likely he can play one of the two corner outfield spots. Mm-hmm. Like we need one of those, which, you know, we just talked about how we might have too many outfielders. So, um, but the real thing and the real calling card with France is, um, of course, the bat. And, you know, you mentioned those gaudy numbers in AAA and, you know, the rabbit ball and the small parks and the PCL notwithstanding. Those are still really impressive numbers. And then this season, he backed it up in albeit a small sample size and limited playing time and inconsistent at bats, but he backed it up in San Diego to a tune of 140 WRC plus. That's the weighted runs created um, metric that we use so often. You know, 100 being average, anything lower than 100 being below average, anything above being above average. So he's had real, not only real bat to ball skills, he doesn't strike out a ton, which we know is one of Jerry Depoto's favorite things to control the zone. Don't strike out, work the counts in your favor. He also has shown real pop and there's a good chance as far as being a DH, it'll play his battle play. It's obviously going to hurt the value if he can't stick at second base or stick at third base, but there's a, there's a really non negligible chance that he's good enough to be an everyday DH, which is something that's incredibly valuable. Uh, yes, definitely. I, uh, I, I, I like the fits, um, especially, you know, have, having just had the Daniel Vogelback experiment blow up in our faces and now, now the Toronto Blue Jays faces, um, as, as designated hitter, um, that France could fit that mold. It seems like Kyle Seeger is, is the guy that'll be there, uh, this year and next year at third base. Um, so that might be a hole that opens up for France. But I think if you're looking at the, the Mariners right now, the only thing that really hasn't worked or, or shown any promise so far this year has been at second base with Shed Long. Um, so I, I would imagine that you're going to see a lot of Ty France playing second to see what you have there. Yeah, and I think sh- uh, sandwiched in between two you know, superlative defenders like J.P. Crawford and uh, Evan White, you might be able to hide some of his uh, deficiencies at second base. But by no means would I say he's going to go out there and be an excellent second baseman. Mm. Uh, one more quick thing about the bat. So I, I mentioned earlier that DePoto has his type where he has these guys who may not have amazing exit velocities. And Ty France doesn't have amazing exit velocities. But albeit it's a small sample size, I pulled this up. So he's had 40 batted ball events in the major leagues this year. So 40 times he's put the bat on the ball in play. 20 out of those 40 batted balls have become between 8 and 32 degrees launch angle, which means and it, between 8 and 32 degrees is classified as the sweet spot or the barrel. Mm. So that's good for 50%, which is within the top, you know, 5% of all major leaguers. So again, we're seeing this trend. Same thing with Nola. Not a lot of pop, but he, he maximizes what he can do with the pop. Uh, and then there's just one more statistic I'd like to um, bring to your attention. A lot of times... With young guys, Ty France is, you know, 25, 26. He's not that young. But what we see is they get to the majors, they get a steady diet of fastballs, but then they really struggle with the uh, uh, the breaking stuff, mm. the off-speed stuff. So here is the top five um, ex-WOBA, which is the weighted on-base average uh, players, you know, um, or hitters in 2019 and 2020 on just breaking balls. Number one is Mike Trout. Number two is George Springer. Number three is Cody Bellinger. Number four is Ronald Acuna Jr. And number five is Ty France. So he's in he's in some pretty good company in terms of being able to punish a breaking ball. And we've seen that he can hit the fastball too. So it seems like he really understands the art of hitting as well. He is sitting at the cool kids table there, uh, to, to be sure. Um, yeah. Did the Mariners just acquire Dan Ugla is what you're trying to tell me. I think Ugla is not a bad comp for Ty France. And I think Ugla had, let's see, let me look up really quick. I don't know off the top of my head, but Ugla had a good career. Ugla, Ugla mashed uh, Mar- Marlins and Bra- less so Braves, but Marlins Ugla was ferocious at second. Dan Ugla had a, a career with almost 20 war, which is a three-time all-star. He was a silver slugger. I mean, if you can get that production out, it's Ty France. And let's look at, all right, this is making for some really good podcasting, but I'm just looking at <laughs> 
his career. Yeah, I mean, these all seem like well within reason sort of OPSs and, and and things that you could kind of expect out of, granted, different, you know, era. You have to adjust for the era. But these all seem well within reason for France. We'll go to our old favorite that we always make fun of, batting average. But tell me if any of these batting averages jump off the page to you. Mm-hmm. 282, 245, 260, 243, 287, 233. He was a career 241 hitter. For Ugla? Yeah, for Ugla. But still a 20-war player. Yeah, still yeah. 20-war. Yeah, it's uh, because he did have pop and he did take walks. Another testament. Led the league in base on balls in 2012. I'll have to get a better look of uh, Ty France's forearms to to make any uh, uh, true ugly distinctions because that, yeah. that was an ugly ugly feature. But uh, let's move on if we're going to do the comp game for some of these guys that came back from from mid to late 2000s. Uh, you know, stalwarts. The guy in Andres Munoz who comes back reminds me a lot of. Joel Zumaya, in terms of, of just straight heat coming off, Andres Munoz uh, was born in Mexico at 17 years old, uh, was gunned, uh, cl- throwing 100 year- miles per hour, uh, again, at 17 years old. Uh, in A last year, was gunned at 104. Um, I think he was, uh, it, when he did make it a major league appearance, that got closer to 102 heat from from Andres Munoz and this is a guy that the the Padres forced to to throw sliders to develop that pitch Um, and that's Mm -hmm. that seems like a nice thing that he has going as well the only drawback of course with Munoz is that he uh, had Tommy John surgery before this season and will be out for the foreseeable future so you won't see him pitch but uh, the the prospect of what he is is very tantalizing you know the fastball as crazy as it sounds the fastball is his second best pitch the slider is the better pitch right now, the more advanced pitch. Of course, he can throw the fastball 101, 102, 103, and maybe he'll still be able to do that after Tommy John. As we know with Tommy John, guys oftentimes come back stronger. I can't imagine you can come back much stronger than 103, yeah. uh, but that you know that remains to be seen. Uh, even if he does lose a tick or two off the velocity, that's not going to hurt him. But what does hurt him on the fastball a little bit is he doesn't look... I mean, this is almost like... Uh, I hate to say this, but if we're talking comps, we know Dan Altavilla has a great fastball and a wipeout slider, but we see time and time again what happens when you just leave it right in the heart of the plate and you don't have great spin on that fastball. It gets punished. It doesn't matter if it's 90 or 105. These guys will hit it. So we need to see a little bit better location from Munoz as he grows older. And again, he's only 21, you know, 20, what is he, 21, 22? Yeah, I think 21. Yeah, so he's got lots of time to develop. I wouldn't count on seeing him again. I think Topoto said they're hoping that he'll he'll start throwing uh, competitively by spring training, but I don't think you'll be seeing him in Seattle until sometime in the middle of next season, which is just as well. Give him time, and we've seen the Mariners be able to really hone in with some of these guys, their control, their command. We're starting to see it with Justice Sheffield, bad last outing notwithstanding. We saw a good outing from Justin Dunn, so give him some time to work with these guys, and we'll see if that can bear fruit. The uh, Many others have, have labeled, and I think within the, the Padres organization, they had they had Munoz pinned as a future setup guy. Um, however, the uh, I, Jerry DePoto said that, that they see Munoz as a potential future closer. Um, so they, they have high hopes for him in terms of at least what he could be, um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be a while before we actually see any evidence of, of what he can do, at least in a Mariners uniform, 104 miles an hour gets your attention, uh, as you are looking through this, this hall that the Mariners got back. Um, last but not least, let's talk about Luis Torrens, unless you have anything else left on, on Munoz. No, I don't. But Torrens is honestly the black box of this whole return. As much as I've tried to look up on him, you get conflicting reports. So I'm going to go just by the scouting reports here because, you know, you can't really trust those minor league numbers, especially with how much how atypical his career has been. He was in a single A until he got Rule Five picked and plucked by the the Padres, and then spent basically a whole season having to languish away and basically waste a year of his development while he sat on the Padres bench. Mm-hmm. As unfair <laughs> as that may be to him, but those are the rules of the Rule Five draft. And then he got sent back down to Double A, where he came out came out and really mashed. He really hit well. Um, do I think that he's going to put up a eight, you know, 20 OPS like he did in double a in his career? I, I just, from what I've read about him from scouts who obviously know the game far better than I, I don't think so, but I don't think it's without it's, 
it's not unreasonable to believe he has everyday catcher ceiling. Yeah, that seems to be the uh, the immediate plan for for Torrens, at least um, a guy that Depoto has said this will be the, the everyday catcher going forward. And when the options are Joe Odom, uh, then uh, I think that's that's an easy decision, um, at least for now. But obviously, you know the 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 future of the Mariners catching, uh, you know, backstop is maybe Cal Raleigh. It might be Tom Murphy. Um, it's, it's, it's a little hard to tell. So, so Torrance seems to kind of be a, let's see what we have here, um, piece, but something that, you know, the Padres didn't have room for. And now, you know, you, you, you make it happen, um, by bringing him into, into your organization and seeing what you can do. And like I said, if you fixed, uh, Austin Nola's swing, you feel like you can do it with anybody. And if they can end and Tom Murphy's swing, you know, they turned both of those guys into really plus offensive players and the sample sizes that we've seen so far, um, you know, why not try and do it one more time with Torrens? Yeah, and I got to tell you, my favorite part of getting Torrens back in the deal is I was obviously excited about, you know, the haul we received for Nola, but knowing that we're getting at least some catcher back and knowing that I don't have to watch Joe <laughs> Hudson and Joe Odom for the next 30 days is just such a blessing. I was I was willing to accept it, but this is, again, just more icing on the cake. Yeah, uh, the the Joes were were just um, f- fantasy camp winners who who got a chance to to play catcher for the Mariners. Um, God bless them. Probably the best major league player that's ever come out of their high schools. But uh, they uh, they were struggling out there. Um, and and yeah, it'll be nice to have somebody that you can actually watch and say, let's let's watch this this person develop uh, because they are you know, a part of either this team's future or someone else's future. And quite honestly, this. Um... Obviously, it's never good news when, you know, anybody in the world gets COVID. But uh, the series that had to be delayed with the Mariners and the A's because one of the A's, not even a player, but one of their, you know, they just called it one of their team members or one of the people within the franchise had a positive test. So it was almost perfect timing for the Mariners. If you're going to look at it in any sort of silver lining, they can get Trammell, uh, Torrens, Munoz and uh, Munoz is obviously injured, so we're not going to see him uh, in France. They can get all those guys doing their intake testing, and they can get them right on the field right away, get them acclimated, and then have them start without the Mariners even missing a game. Yeah, and and there are very few games left um, that this season is is drawing to. Yeah, close. so every at, every at bat counts, and I think it is a good thing that the Mariners will be able to maximize that. Let's talk quickly about the other two trades that, that were made um, before the deadline, one of which happened um, that we kind of called. Taiwan Walker was traded to the Blue Jays for a player to be named later. Uh, a lot of people have speculated on who that player is. Any thoughts on on that uh, other than the idea that Taiwan Walker may very well be a Mariner again next year? Well, we know who it is now because the Mariners uh, PR department uh, sent it out, which again, I don't, the the MLB front office must have, loosened up their rules for this season on the whole player to be named later thing. Mm -hmm. But the the Mariners um, official account tweeted it out. So it's a kid named Alberto Rodriguez. Right. Listen, it's five games of a number four starter. I don't think people should get too upset about a perceived light return here. It's a kid out of the Dominican leagues has just made his uh, stateside. Um, I feel like now that we're 27, we can call these guys kids now. He's only 19. Yes. So we're, we're well within the being able to call them kids range. Um, but listen, it's a kid with big power, relatively advanced bat in terms of contact skills, and they think he can play a corner outfield position. But again, he's so far away from the majors. I don't even think... He's someone to keep an eye on, of course. I think he'll slot somewhere in the top 30 within the Mariners um, organizational rankings, but it's not somebody you should expect to pay immediate dividends. You probably won't hear this name again unless you're a really avid follower of the farm system for another two or three years. The other guy that got traded was uh, Taylor Williams, who was the the Mariners catcher, or, sorry, closer um, for, for most of the season, um, who actually filled in for Austin Adams, who also ended up on the Padres. So the Padres took both the Mariners intended closer and uh, eventual closer from, from this year. That's okay. Neither of them were uh, game breakers, although Austin Adams did show a ton of promise last year. But anyways, uh, we talked about Taylor Williams and uh, the, you know, fastball slider combo guy. He's a guy that just got absolutely lit up in San Diego a week ago. Uh, but now he's their problem. The guy coming back seems to be, it might be announced by now, 
uh, Matt Brash, a uh, a starting pitcher prospect, um, was was um, uh, really strong at Niagara. I think his name is John Doyle, uh, a uh, lookout landing contributor. Um, talked highly about, or at least was excited about, the prospect of of Matt Brash because. He is uh, very good at getting down the mound and making a, a lower release point. The idea being the closer that where the pitcher releases the ball uh, is to the ground, the less power or ability to launch the ball that supplies the batter. Is, is that about right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And again, with everybody now doing the elevate to celebrate thing, uh, swinging up on the ball, uh, it does make a lot of sense to not be coming down from the exact opposite angle because it gives them a really easy path and a lot of uh, room for error to make still consistent contact. You'd want the ball to be a little bit flatter coming through. Yeah. So Br- Brash has, has some, uh, some talent and, and it was kind of funny. It sound for, from the sound of it, it sounds like the conversations about Austin Nola produced the trade um, for, for Taylor Williams at the Padres. So probably a guy that got thrown into a deal. Maybe he was there instead of Alta Villa or he was there instead of Austin Adams. And uh, then they said, okay, we'll just make him a part of a separate trade um, the following day. But uh, way to go, Jerry. Um, I think, yeah. I, I had Could a- you imagine being the Padres and being in the middle of a really big playoff run? You know, your owners already threatened you that if you, don't start winning. Heads are going to roll, basically threatening your job, being A.J. Preller. And you say, you know what's going to bail me out of this? The Mariners' bullpen. <laughs> what is going through his mind? Uh, yes. Uh, it's It's been insane that, that this this uh, this was the net for, for Austin Nola and uh, guys that drove us nuts over the last, last couple months, and in Altavilla's case, um, years. But Jerry Depoto, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw five numbers at you, Phil. Um, okay. the, the first one is four, the second is seventeen, the third is twenty-one, twenty-four, and twenty-seven. Do you know what those okay. numbers numbers represent? Say, say, them, say them one more time. Sure. Four, seventeen, twenty-one, twenty-four, and twenty-seven. Oh, I got it. What is got? it? Is it? I'm gonna guess it is the ranking of the Mariners farm system from the time he took in inverse order from the time he took over to where we are now. That was a good guess, Phil. It is related to uh, the idea of farm systems. So the Mariners currently, according to MLB pipeline, have the number four overall uh, ranked farm system in baseball. Uh, The other four numbers were the rankings of the four teams left in the AL West. The Oakland A's are at 17th. Uh, the Angels are 21st, the Rangers 24th, and the Astros are at 27th. Look, Where are the Rangers? The Rangers are at 24th. God, that's just a really dark place for them to be right now. And they didn't trade with, Lance but Yeah, with uh, what they have on the table in the majors. And, uh, you know, not for nothing, minor league power rankings or, or, or system rankings don't necessarily translate to, to, to wins or to, definitely not to championships. Um, you know, I was looking back at the 2015 rankings and, you know, very, rated very highly worthy Texas Rangers for uh, prospects, Joey Gallo and, uh, you know, Jorge Alfaro and, and things like that. So, yeah, he, but both those both of those guys have turned into great players. That's, and here's the, here's the other thing that I do want to mention, because inevitably this is going to be a big talking point amongst Mariner fans who are, you know, rightly skeptical. They, whatever, call it what you want. They haven't seen the playoffs in 20 years, yada, yada, yada. I get it. And this is what they're going to say. Well, remember when we had Taiwan Walker and James Paxton and Dustin Ackley and Jesus Montero and Justin Smoke and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that was a highly regarded farm system. But back then, what we didn't have is the just overwhelming amount of information that we have about prospects now. Everything used to be eye test. And as we've talked about on this podcast 10,000 times, and we'll say it 10,000 more times, the eyes can lie. What we have now on prospects, prospect rankings are getting really refined because we have so much more information. We have, you know, we have better medical medical reports on guys' arms if they're going to fall off or not. Or, you know, we look into their motions. We have Rapsodo machines to see what they're doing wrong or if they're going to hurt their arm eventually. We have exit velocities via stat cast. We have all this way better information so we don't have to rely on just some, you know, 60-year-old scout saying, oh, yeah, he's good because I saw other guys that looked like him and they were good. So things are getting more sophisticated 
and you're going to be able to start trusting. Of course, there's always going to be misses. That's not going to there's never going to be a perfect system for rating prospects, but it is getting more sophisticated and it is getting more refined. Yeah, and and my point being with with giving you those five numbers uh, and giving anyone listening those those five numbers is if you're looking at you know who has the brightest futures left in you know in in the division who are the Mariners competing against uh, you know consensus has every other team in the bottom half of of futures and you know the the Oakland A's have a very compelling team right now uh, the Astros obviously have a lot of of talent left to burn out on their current roster. Um, and, and, you know, the angels and Rangers kind of in, in, in no man's land, but I think this was, this is what was supposed to happen. You know, the, the, the Mariners in the front office, Jerry Depoto read the tea leaves. They said, we, we just don't have the trajectory that, that Oakland does, that Houston does, uh, that the Red Sox did at that, at that point that the Yankees did to really compete for anything. So what are we doing? Let's, let's, let's really, you know, give ourselves the best chance to win. And they've they've done their part. Um, you know, a lot of lot of development has to happen. A lot of um, you know things have to pan out for this to to come to fruition and and you know get us to to what we want, which is much greater than a playoff appearance at this point. Um, but they have handled that part of things right and are doing smart things over and over and over again, flipping assets, um, building for the future. While also you can start to see the what this team, what the team, that first Mariners playoff team is going to look like, you can start to see it form at the same time. And like, it's just, it's such a novel feeling to have this going on as a Mariners fan. Yeah. I mean, you look at it, it's evident all over the diamond. Now you see Kyle Lewis, who by all accounts was dead in the water just a year ago. He was, you know, falling out of not only prospect rankings, but out of Mariners organizational rankings, he was outside the top 10 in within their own uh, system, but they kept with him. They developed him, and now it's starting to pay dividends. You're seeing it with Evan White, who is, you know, very sort of this quizzical. Why did you pick that guy at number 17? But now you're starting to see that. Why, why, did, why did you pay him for? Why did you pay him even though he's never played in the majors? Uh, yeah, the, the 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 Heyman tweet. Yeah, mm-hmm. and but you, then you see it. Uh, you see it all over the time. You see it with JP Crawford, who even I remember if we're going to listen back on uh, old podcasts. I was very skeptical of what are they doing trading Segura for, you know, this Crawford guy who he's a light hitter. He can't really play in the field. He's and, you know, credit to Perry Hill, who turned his career around in the field. And whoever it was, Hugh Quattlebaum or uh, maybe Tim Laker, one of those uh, hitting guys that turned his approach around at the plate. You're just seeing it all over the diamond. It remains to be seen with Shed Long. I think there's something going on there that needs to get fixed. Um because, you know, it's not just I've looked deeply into his numbers with him. It's not just a matter of bad luck. He's struggles with pitch recognition. He hits the ball into the ground far too often. So then something either has to get fixed with him or maybe he's just not the player we thought he was. It's OK. Those mm-hmm. things happen when you turn through rosters. Um, but again, you're seeing it all over the field, this consistent approach to building for the future. And it's like you said, it is OK. There will be an off season coming up, whether it's this this you know maybe maybe the heading into the 2022 season where you can look at the Mariners and say they are a second baseman away from from contending for a championship. And guess what? They will have all of the money in the world to get that because uh, the Mariners are incredibly cheap as they're they're currently designed. Um, mm-hmm. there's, there's no cap in baseball, but they have a considerable amount of room compared to uh, you know payrolls past with with this team, although different ownership group obviously. Um, and they'll go out and get what they need. And, and that, that is what, you know, the, the other part of this that we haven't really seen with the Mariners yet is these big free agent signings or spending, uh, in ways that put you over the top. And that's the the third dimension that the Mariners had always had gone to, you know, trading up to, to, you know, being the Padres Mm -hmm. trading assets to get, to get what you think you need, uh, or signing who you think you need. And we've never really seen it been a concerted effort to do it through the farm system, um, and I gotta say, I like this way much better than, than, uh, previous well, team, it's, team building has, has happened. It, it, it's more fun, first of all, because you actually develop some sort of emotional connection watching that. And if you don't follow the minor leagues, even tangentially, I would really recommend that it, it just really changes your outlook on baseball. I would recommend that anybody who's listening to this really like, at least give it a cursory glance over once a week. If you like the Mariners, 
because it changes the way you think about the team. Because when you're watching the Mariners and you're only watching the MLB Mariners, you're watching 25 guys in an organization that is comprised of over a thousand. So I would really at least encourage people to give it a cursory glance. Um, but yeah, it's it, it, it. We saw it with the with the Padres. They went out and signed a couple of big contracts. One of them, Hosmer, not a great one. Machado, very good contract. So the Mariners will do it. They have the money. They have the market. They have the right things. But it's not the right time. And they will do it when it gets there. And it's going to be, in in my estimation, they won't do it until they need to. And I think that's for the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's. It's just weird. Uh, it's still going to be weird to me for for a long time um, as as the Mariners continue to do things seemingly right um, and and seeing guys pan out is is the testament to that. But uh, anything else to to add on this? This is obviously a, a trade deadline that you and I would consider a success. Um, that there was at least talk that the Mariners weren't going to do anything um, and stand pat after the Taiwan Walker trade. So um, again, a little bit more found money. Uh, with with this weird trade deadline that again I, I had kind of talked about this before is kind of a product of of the Padres saying hey you know we're basically guaranteed a playoff spot even though we are in the same division as the Dodgers and we don't have to play one game playoffs um, to 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 make it through we play actual series where you know if, if we're the more talented team well that'll bear out over a three game stretch um, in a different way than it would in a one game series and and I think the Mariners kind of capitalized on on that aspect of things that made it a little bit easier for the Padres to talk themselves into this so here's what I love about baseball and this season notwithstanding because there's eight teams from each division in the playoffs I hope that's not a trend that continues but basically what you need to do in baseball is you need to make a great team that can get to the playoffs but once you're in the playoffs it's that's what the Padres are thinking right now. Do the Padres probably think they're as talented as the Dodgers? Probably not. But over seven games, are they close enough that things could break their way? Absolutely. You just have you don't have to be better than the Dodgers because if you're going to try and be better than the Dodgers, you're just not. Let's just not even play that game. But what you do need to do, and what the Padres have done, is they've gotten close enough that they can have things break their way. Mm-hmm. And the Mariners, the Mariners will be the Padres at some point. Yeah, they, they will be in this exact same situation probably giving up way too much or seemingly way too much to make a push um, for, for something. And, and, you know, I can't wait for that part of things too, because that's, that's the next, you know, a, a couple chapters away from where we are now. Um, but we'll be there for it. Uh, this, this thing will continue and, and we will continue to chronicle uh, this, this burgeoning thing that we have with the Mariners. Yeah, it's a really exciting time, and I'm so excited we started when we did, and yeah, that we're gonna get to see this whole thing, this whole process through. You know, this this was once the Refuse to Cruise podcast, Phil. We were talking about uh, Nelson Cruz and Brendan Ryan, and and uh, all the. Realistically, all the... we probably should have refused to cruise because we would have been a couple of years ahead of schedule of where we are now. But you know, like they say, the best time to plant a tree is ten years ago. The second best time is right now, and I guess that's what we're doing right now is we're planting the tree. Nelson Cruz is also a tree. Uh, just yeah. <laughs> cannot kill him. He is just playing better than he ever has in his life. Uh, yeah, go for ageless it. wonder. Yes. Uh, all right, Phil, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, do you want to plug some sauce? What's going on at the restaurants? Hey, our friend who might be listening to this podcast, Matt Gebert, big shout out. Thank hey. you for buying sauce. Okay. Uh, sauce program's going well. Uh, really appreciate everyone who support. I don't know if anyone, I, well, let's just put it this way. Anyone who is listening to this, please go. If you've already bought some, buy some more, but it's going really well. Things that you know are going as smooth as we could hope at work right now, so I'm really in a good place there, and I just want to thank everyone who's made that possible. As smooth as a as a Caesar dressing. Yeah, the Caesar dressing is beautiful, and it lasts for a while. So I would I would get on it. Uh, and that's not last for whiles last for a while because of weird chemicals either. That's uh, that's no just, that's well. No, so actually, I did, I did a pH test on, and this is getting into the specifics of canning but i did a ph test on our sauce and it's actually got enough uh acidity to last under under good temp for and if you can it properly for you know indefinitely things you always imagined yourself doing right administering pH yeah tests to, to, to caesar sauce uh, yeah well that's right. that's great to hear uh do i have it right ilterazzo carmine.com slash slash shop 
uh, that to, is exactly right to get your hands on on some uh, some delicious sauces. Uh, not an easy one to say, but we, we did it. Uh, Phil, once again, thank you. We'll do this again next week. Uh, go ahead. All right, thank you, buddy. I'll see you next week. Be well.